Welcome to the Mabea Property Podcast. Bringing you expert insights and personal stories from the ever-changing Costa del Sol real estate market. Remember, in the world of property, knowledge pays the best interest. So, welcome back to another episode of Mabea Property Podcast. Um, I, my name is Gretel and together with me here uh, is also my co-host Camilla. Hi, Camilla. Hello, Gretel. How are you today? I'm still good, still good. We're doing back-to-back episodes and I think the one that uh, we're going to do now is one of my uh, favorite ones. So, I've got a great pleasure to uh, introduce uh, Maria Sanchez-Pinha uh, from the Cayet Avogados. Uh, so, today we have a lawyer and we're going to look into navigating Mabeya's market and, you know, what's, uh, what the services that the lawyer uh, offers and, you know, why is it relevant to, to have a lawyer when, when uh, doing a property deal. Hi, Maria. How are you? Hello. Hi, Gretel. Hi, Camilla. Thank Hello. you for inviting me. Thank I'm you very, very much for being here. We are very excited and I think this is going to be a very interesting episode, especially to all our listeners. Yeah, so. <laughs> for sure. So are you originally from Mabeya? I'm not from Mabeya, but my mother's family is. My okay. father was uh, a developer here. Okay. And all my mother's family is from Mabeya. Wow, that's an interesting story. It's like everybody who comes, uh, you know, to the to the show, the people that I meet, everybody has such a mixed uh, background, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so your background was then real estate because you say your family, your family it was, was a developer. developer. So, well, I, I ended up being a lawyer in real estate, but for other reasons, no, nothing to oh, yeah? do with my grandfather or anything, but uh, coincidence. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So what uh, made you choose real estate as a, as a specialty or why did you find it uh, interesting? Actually, when I qualified as a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, what I liked most is uh, helping foreign clients. Mm-hmm. So I thought, OK, I'm going to focus. And by that time, where you could help more is, for example, here in Marbella with real estate. Yeah. Litigation was also an option, but was not that popular amongst foreign clients. So that was the, the idea, you know, to be working with uh, foreign people. Actually, on that note, is it uh, is it just foreign people who use a lawyer uh, when doing a real estate transaction, or is it common also among Spanish people? I must say it's changing lately, mm-hmm. but uh, Spanish people are more reluctant to use lawyers for purchasing unless they know in advance that there is a problem with the paperwork or legalization. Okay, okay. But at what point do you think a buyer should contact a lawyer to talk about the procedure of buying a property? In my opinion, I think it's uh, very important that as soon as they find the property they like and they get the offer accepted, they might see as a lawyer because some clients get confused and they sign the reservation document thinking that it's, you know, like something preliminary and it's not uh, very important for the rest of the process and you get committed by that moment. Yes. before signing the reservation document, contact your lawyer. In fact, I always recommend my clients to contact a lawyer already when making the decision to buy a property, to talk about the process and also talking about the costs of buying a property. Indeed. Yeah. And especially costs of a lawyer. Is there an average, some lawyers ask when helping buyers to buy the property? Yeah, I think there is a standard fee. We normally charge 1% of the purchase price plus VAT. Yeah. And that's quite standard amongst all of us. Uh, 
And how does um, how does a client uh, find a lawyer? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously asking friends and asking family for referrals. Uh, you know, I guess that sometimes real estate agents can also recommend. But let's say that you know, um, I, I guess what I'm getting is: is there some sort of uh, um, register that, you know, qualifies a lawyer? Or how do I know that the lawyer that, I, for example, I, I found, you know, whether I found online or I heard through the word of mouth, that this person is qualified to, to help me? I mean, there are several channels. Nowadays, you know, online is very important. Mm-hmm. But uh, in our experience, I mean, in our case, for example, particularly, we get recommended by clients mm-hmm. most of the time. Real estate agents are also very productive in this field. And... Um, if you want to find out whether a lawyer is qualified, uh, we do have we do have um, the lawyer society. So you can go and ask that a lawyer is normally registered and mm-hmm. you know as a lawyer. So, but you mainly work with foreign buyers, correct? Yes. There's a certain nationality you work most with. In our Estonians, law, no, I'm joking. <laughs> we have many, luckily. <laughs> many Estonians, very, very, very good. Yeah, we are, we are currently collaborating on a sale. Indeed. Maria is helping the buyer of my vendor's property and we're soon meeting at notary again. So, and that Ex- is an Estonian, Estonian exactly. buyer and a German vendor. <laughs> we do cover most of the uh, nationalities because in our law firm, we do have um, all kind of languages, you know, our staff speak uh, native English, Dutch, German, French, Polish. So we can help any clients because it's very important for the client to be able to communicate in their own language when we're talking about business. Very. So. Correct, yeah, because there is so many uh, specific terms that, you know, even if you think that, you know, your English is on a, on a pretty good level, let's say, you might still, uh, you know, want to be able to clarify things in French or Dutch, you know, whatever your... Uh, country of residency. Yeah, especially so. comparing the sales process or the, the purchase process to Germany. It's completely different. It's basically backwards. Okay. I was actually thinking of that. It's not only because of the language, but also because many of the clients think uh, it's going to happen at least, you know, as it is in their country. And I tell them, okay, Spain is different for everything, for the good yeah. and for the not so, such a good yeah. things. So take out of your mind you know, the scenario that you've grown up because it's going to happen in a different way. And they feel very secure, very, you know, when they have the support of someone telling them, no, this is the normal practice. It's going to happen, you know, with the following cause of action. Mm -hmm. Then they feel very supported because it's very different indeed. Yeah, it's true because I guess that every country is, you know, different in the process and, you know, it's it's common that we want to draw the parallels, you know, for what we're experienced and used to. But, you know, uh, every country has its course and, you know, Spain, you know, one of, you know, definitely has its own uh, quirks as well when it comes to the process. So so maybe we'll go a little bit into the uh, more details. I think one of the main burning questions that we wanted to open the, the conversation was about LPO. Can you tell me what is, what does LPO mean? Uh, LPO is a big world, actually. Hmm. Um, I I understand that some of the real estate agents want to know ABC, what mm-hmm. can happen. Well, yeah. You may already know that in Spain, nothing is ABC. Yeah. It's most of the time in the gray area. LPO is basically the license granted by the town hall to say that the house has been built according to the project, complies with the law and is habitable. That's the summary of mm-hmm. what a, you know LPO is. LPO was not granted for many years, you know, uh, for different reasons, depending on the area or because it was not normal practice. Now, 
where normally we should have LPO, you also find many areas where it has not been granted mm -hmm. because maybe the land where it was built, you know, the property that we we would be checking on um, was not meant to be for residential or buildings. or So there are many different reasons why a property cannot have LPO. That's why it's so important that the lawyer checks what is the reason why the property doesn't have it because mm -hmm. there are many ways to make a legalization nowadays. Because am I also right in saying that uh, uh, certain properties that were built before, uh, let's say, a certain time, I don't know if 83. it's like 1983, I think you're uh, saying over there, yeah. that uh, they are exempt from having this LPO because back then this term didn't exist or that kind of... Uh... I mean, you still find properties with uh, LPO depending on the areas. You mm -hmm. know, for example, Marbella is different to Malaga or mm -hmm. to Torremolinos, Benalmadena. It depends. But uh, it's true that... You know, in those uh, years, it was not that common to mm -hmm. have it. So when we see the year of construction of the property, we can assess whether, okay, there is no issue with that. Yeah. That's fine. Because I guess also, like, uh, this is maybe one of the myths that I want to kind of, uh, you know, take it out there and say, you know, it's not completely true, is that, you know, if the property doesn't have an LPO, that then it's a 100% no, you know, for the investors and buyers. And, and I kind of disagree. I'm saying, of course, like, LPO is important and, you know, you must have it. But like you're saying, it has so many different aspects and there might be a valid reason or, you know, a reason why the property doesn't have it. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't make a good, you know, purchase or a good investment or, you know, yeah, a good I think it uh, second on home. Why and what is the reason of buying this yeah. property? And the I always try to explain the LPO situation beforehand to buyers without making it too complicated. Because if you go further into this topic, it can <clears throat> completely confuse buyers. I mean, I'm German and knowing Germans, if they hear property hasn't got a license, they, they <laughs> run as fast as they can. Uh, so we're trying to explain it doesn't need to be the worst case scenario. And when I do a reservation contract and we pass on the details to the lawyer or the lawyer starts to get involved in the, in the purchase process, the first question the lawyer asks me, is does it have an LPO? So in which cases is the LPO very important for a buyer? And are there alternative licenses? Tell us a little bit about that. LPO is something simple but can get very complicated. Mm -hmm. For example, I'll give you two very... Um, Opposite examples. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so that you have a picture in your, in your mind of what I'm thinking of. For example... LPO is very popular when clients want to have touristic license. Mm -hmm. That we, we all know. Okay, good. But, for but is me, it a must? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is it a must to have the LPO to be able to rent out the property? Depending on the client's request. I mean, for lawyers, in a perfect world, if we have LPO, you know we have peace of mind. Yes. If the LPO is legal. That's another question. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so taking into account, okay, we've got LPO is legal. That's the best scenario ever, which is not every day, you know our situation every day but okay if you say okay what would you be worried about for example i had a client uh, buying a villa and he was not planning to rent it for touristic purposes he was not trying to sell so he said okay it's going to be in my family for good so i don't care mm -hmm. okay but you know by talking to the family suddenly the wife said okay i'm so excited about the refurbishment so i went like bing <laughs> what is that <laughs> and then she was talking yeah i want to make a total refurbishment i want to knock down the upper floor and i was like okay if you don't have an lpo we checked with the town hall by that time and they wouldn't give a building license for that refurbishment 
Oh, that sounds like headache <laughs> for that's an agent. Why, that's why LPO, as you say, we cannot tell the clients, uh, uh, you know, to, to make them worry. It's just to assess the situation. Yeah. So what, what is do you it intend? For? Mm -hmm. And in any case, we always inform them if, if it doesn't have an LPO, they need to know. Because as you may be aware today, you think of this situation and tomorrow your, your life your situation changes. changes. You want yeah. to move back to your country and you want to do something different. So clients need to be informed that is something important in need. Yeah. No, very. But what's the story with LPO? Why is it so complicated in Marbella? Especially not complicated Marbella. because I'm thinking, especially Marbella. Yeah. So there is a, you know, what, what's the what's the story behind why so solution? many properties is there, is there uh, don't have it? Is light at the end of the tunnel for, for that? <laughs> there are many reasons, but in Marbella in particular, um, that is not going to be popular to tell, you know, but um, <laughs> many, many building licenses were granted in a, such a good way, so they were not compliant totally. So, for example, we do have uh, in the area plots where, for example, you should only build uh, villas mm -hmm. and suddenly they built apartments. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't comply with, so the town hall decided, okay, let's leave it like that, but it doesn't comply with the law, so they cannot give an LPO on top of that because the developer made something wrong. Or, for example, they were granted with the license to build ground floor plus one, and suddenly they built ground floor plus two. So those things yeah. is a reason. Am I right in uh, thinking that uh, this got started basically with the last uh, property boom and the rush? Was that the time when most of these uh, issues started? So in the beginning of the 2000, uh, when, you know, there was so much demand, you know, for the property and they, everybody kept building, building, and they kind of like went, uh, let's say, in a nice way above and beyond of what... Uh, I think it's been for... For a longer even time, time even, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. But at some point, and correct me if I'm wrong, they said, okay, we can't continue like this. We put everything on hold. Let's put it all back, the plan of Marbella to, I think it was 83. And now for years, I hear that they're talking about new plans. Is there something going to happen? Because it's this LPO thing is, is, we are confronted with that on a daily basis. It's getting easier because it's something people know more about it now because also you can buy properties without an LPO and still get a mortgage. Uh, talk about that in a second. But will there be a solution? I mean, we all hope. But, you know, since I began uh, to work as a lawyer 20 years ago, you know, every year we were having meetings with the town halls. And actually there were some, you know, plans to have it approved, but um, it didn't happen at the end. So um, it should happen. Actually, it would be really good for everyone. Yeah. But on the other side... On the other side, I think there are so many things to sort out that... Um, Don't know where to no start, kind exactly. of. So. Water filter system, for example, but that's a very different thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a personal experience. So I purchased um, a property around uh, 2015 or 16. Um, it was a bank repossession property and I used the lawyer during the, the purchase and I remember, you know, specifically checking and the property had the, the LPO. But then when I, um, when I sold the property, which was, I think, about 2021, um, before, you know, I went through kind of the process of preparing all my documents, making sure that I got all my, uh, my uh, paperwork in order, uh, I found out that the LPO had kind of been revoked at one point. But I was pretty sure that I had it because obviously I used the lawyer and I remember, you know, checking because I had this in my mind because it was one of the first purchases that I made. Um, and, and when I contacted the lawyer, you know, he told, yeah, you know, things happened over here, I think, on the because the property, that particular property was in the Mabeya East area. Um, and 
you know, explained to me that there was this big corruption scandal and, you know, they kind of revoked all the licenses, but don't worry because, you know, there is a document called SNU, Certificado de No Infracción, that, you know, they can issue uh, to you and, you know, this kind of replaces the LPO for the time being so you can still sell, you can still mortgage, you can still get your short-term uh, rental license or something like that. So I just wanted to kind of bring this example to the, to the listeners to ask also, you know, what is this SNU? Uh, the document and does it really replace an LPO? What's no. the role that it, uh, no, that it, it plays in that? Mm -hmm. it. It's only a measure that sometimes when you don't have the LPO mm -hmm. valid, you can say, okay, let's uh, apply for a certificate that states that it doesn't have any sanctions. So the mm -hmm. property doesn't have any sanctions so far. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it doesn't replace it. And second, is only a guarantee at the moment because I mean, in that uh, particular yeah. case, when you bought, it's different. But for example, if you have a, a property that has been built uh, two years ago, mm -hmm. you can have a certificate saying that it doesn't have any sanctions today, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to have it next year. Because as you know, the town hall can review the property for four years. So, so SNU is kind of something like it's uh, it's worse than not having always an LPO, but it's better than not having nothing. So it's kind of like this uh, document that you might get in a transit, but like you said, it doesn't really give the uh, buyer a security that, you know, uh, it's not going to be a problem, you know, in the future. But, you know, is, is this possible that, you know, that uh, the property had an LPO and then it was revoked at, uh, yeah, at yeah, the later stage? Yeah, we've seen stage? it very often, mm -hmm. unfortunately. It it has happened many times. So even having actually a property with an LPO, you know, nobody can give you the guarantee that, you know. Well, we as lawyers, we do have, for example, an architect in-house. Mm -hmm. So we can check the planning situation mm -hmm. and check whether the LPO, if it's, for example, a building or something, mm -hmm. you check with the town hall and it's valid. Okay, no problem. And if it's a villa, we can also check that it complies with all the regulations. So, yes, there, there are measures for us to check whether it is good or not the LPO. What sanctions can there be on a property, let's say an apartment? What what exactly do you check um, during your due diligence process for the buyer? For example, some, something very popular in an apartment, which is very common to hear from the agent, is only an apartment. What changes are they going to do? <laughs> Ooh, you will be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> For example, <laughs> very popular uh, clients normally close the terrace. Oh, and the when glass, they terrace, uh, mm -hmm. it counts at surface, so you, it's taken by the town hall as you have increased the surface of the uh, terrace. So we find sometimes um, that there is a certificate of the town hall saying we have, you know, opened a file against this property because they have increased that, um, you know, surface. So they can ask to put it back to the original status and normally they have a sanction. Mm -hmm. But even because the glass curtains are kind of like removable, no, because you can open them, but it automatically then uh, extends the property kind of uh, uh, mm -hmm. square by square meters in the, in the system. Hmm? Interesting. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. But in general, what sort of due diligence does a lawyer do for the buyer? So what exactly do you check if a buyer wants to buy a property? In our case, we check from A to Z anything that needs to, um, to be checked for the client to have peace of mind that what they are buying is legal, has free, you know, has good title. Uh, the vendor who is selling has good title that uh, is free of any charges or encumbrances. As you know, in Spain, there is no central registry. It's very funny, for example, we do have um, Danish clients, German, and they do not understand how you can buy something here and not be legal because there, once it's registered, it means it's legal. Mm -hmm. So I always explain them, I make like a drawing when we are sitting down and tell them, okay, in Spain, we have 
land registry, we have cadaster, and we also have town hall. Yeah. And we have to check the three things and see that everything is fine. So we check not only the economical part about the mortgages, debts, and everything, but also about the planning situation, about supplies. So little things that, are, you know, in the eyes of the client can mean nothing. For mm -hmm. us, it's like a bell mm -hmm. that rings like, okay, pay attention to this. For example, you have a villa and suddenly we don't get the supply bill. I say, what happens with the water? So suddenly we find out that it's not connected to the mains. Yes. And that is a sign for us to think, okay, give me more paperwork. And then we find out, okay, it's not connected to the mains because it doesn't have license. Because, you know, normally you don't get all the paperwork in one go. That would be our dream, you know. Mm -hmm. But we get step by step. Okay, here you have a document, title leads, uh, land registry, office copy entries, blah, blah, blah. But with one of these little signs, we can say, okay. Something can be wrong. And how many, uh, I mean, because in your practice, obviously, you meet so many different uh, clients. Um, how prepared are the sellers? Because I think that's one of the other things is that, you know, people, they want to sell the house, but they don't think of the steps that they need to take before. Because, you know, maybe I bought the house 10 years ago and I thought, you know, if I just want to sell it, I'll give it to an agent. But, you know, how prepared are the sellers or how common is it that, you know, the process is kind of delayed, you know, on the part because the seller doesn't have certain paperwork or they haven't thought about you know gaining it and you know that kind of can extend the process for the for the buyer continue considerably i would say no i mean nowadays when the vendor is going through an agent they are very good in asking them most of the time all the paperwork in advance mm -hmm. if not as soon as they come to the lawyer we ask them if they don't have it which is most of the mm -hmm. time you know that they don't have it with them because they, maybe they had the paperwork abroad or whatever we contact you know, the other lawyer or land registry. We even find clients who lost all the paperwork because they had a fire or a removal, whatever reason. And with the identification of the client, I can trace most of all the documents that we are going to need. So... So maybe just a note also for the people who already own the property or, you know, who want to sell the property. So what's the main paperwork that they should get ready if they think about uh, selling and you know because I know for example uh, I can open the conversation say let's say energy certificate you know if I'm selling an apartment that's something that can take a little bit of time to to get as well you know well but that wouldn't worry me because mm. nowadays we can get it very very yeah. easily for days. example for me it's very important if you have the LPO mm -hmm. yeah Recently, what we are doing is we attach it to the title deeds, which was not common mm -hmm. many years ago. So we make it like part of the deed. So by the time you sell, you already have it there, which okay. is very useful. Yeah. yeah, in my experience, uh, talking to sellers. So when I list a property, I sit down with the sellers. And for me, it's very important to give them the best advice possible. So they are prepared when finding a buyer because there's nothing worse than finding a buyer. And then you need to start the sales process and you can lose, uh, you know, time, which in the worst case, you, you can, can lose, lose a client buyer. as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of sellers don't even know what an LPO is. So I usually advise vendors, uh, sorry, vendors don't know what an LPO is. So I advise any vendor, please mm. contact your lawyer. Sit down with your lawyer. If you don't have one, get one. <laughs> Sit down and prepare all the paperwork you need. So we'll, once we have a buyer, we can proceed. And something very important also, I would say, uh, when the client comes to sell, it's good that they have a chat with us before because exactly. we also do a tax planning because some exactly. vendors are not prepared for the taxes they have to pay for the sale because they true. think, okay, I already paid when I bought. Why? Yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay, you have to pay on the benefit, you know, based on the capital gain tax that you have or if they are non-residents. So 
it's very good to do a tax planning so that they are fully aware mm-hmm. of the timing, taxes, so that they are free to decide for which price they want to sell. And for the due diligence, does it um, does it differentiate or does it depend on where the client is buying? Like, for example, if they would buy in Estepona, they would buy in uh, Galahonda uh, or in Mabeya, is your process somehow more, you know, complicated or more simple in uh, depending on the area? Of course, mm. depending on the town hall. Some mm-hmm. town halls are more... Um, let's say efficient uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> than other ones. So, I like uh, yeah, how lawyers yeah. can choose their words. You know, it's like they make everything <laughs> sound so beautiful, it efficient. Makes, yeah. uh, it makes it makes really a difference because, um, I mean, in Spain you always have to be prepared mm-hmm. for everything to take some time. It's mm-hmm. not something that you press the button and yeah. it goes automatically in one minute in your computer. But still, some town halls, for example, are quicker. Some of them can be helping you personally some mm-hmm. of them are reluctant to do that so you can only do it online so mm-hmm. of course it makes a difference depending whether they are buying in one place or another and and yeah it's it's super important i think uh because for example i heard that or I, i've experienced that the certificado de no infracción so this cniu is takes quite a long time especially in Mabea it can take up to 3 months so that's why i think it's very important to advise your vendor to talk to a lawyer and already order it because whether a property has the lpo or not i've experienced lately that buyers lawyers ask for the certificado de no infracción anyway uh, so it is Definitely very good, yeah, clever step. Yeah, indeed. That is very important because the LPO um, is the same as the certificate. It only means that by that time that when it was granted, it complied with the law. But what about if the current owner who is selling now has made alterations to the property? We had many times whether they made an extension and suddenly they do not respect the uh, distance to the neighbor. So the LPO is there. But then when you are going to apply for the billing license that I just told, told you a few minutes ago, then you have a problem. So it's indeed very good to and have. And sometimes the preparation to actually be able to sell the property takes a long time, especially talking about villas. And especially they maybe made an extension 20 years ago. They built another floor on top. Um, they, they contracted a building company. They thought they did everything correct, but they've never registered that. So you need to register, you need to pay your tax on that. And only when that is done, then you can proceed with selling the property. That is also a very important point because some vendors think they don't need a lawyer to sell. And as you say, mm-hmm. they may have forgotten all the alterations, but sometimes we even find clients who have built a guest house in the garden. Yeah. Here we go. So <laughs> by the time we are selling, the, the you know the, the buyer's lawyer tell us, listen, I've checked this. What about the paperwork? And we don't even know because the clients forgot about it. So they didn't tell us. So we have to begin with the legalization. So indeed, it's good to refresh the situation of the property when you are coming to sell, talk to your lawyer and say, okay, what must, you know, what should I do? Exactly. So maybe we're going to take a little bit of a break before we're going to go on to the next topic. So we'll see you shortly after the break. See you soon. Enjoying the podcast? Then join our growing community on Facebook and follow us on Instagram for the latest updates. More information in the show notes. Hello, welcome back after this uh, little break with uh, our lawyer Maria and Gretel. And now we like to talk a little bit about 
the short-term rentals, okay? Because many of the investors here purchase a property with the idea of using it uh, some months themselves, maybe, uh, but then renting it out during the peak season. But from my knowledge, not all organizations allow the short-term rentals, or in fact, a few organizations lately have decided not to allow short-term rentals at all anymore. Is that actually legal? Yes, it is. At the moment, um, communities are allowed to forbid that and um, is a reality, although it's not very popular amongst clients because investors are very focused on that, but it's happening. But if you already have a short-term rental, you can still continue? Indeed. That okay. is, uh, if you have already registered yourself for the touristic license, they cannot forbid you. They can take, uh, as you may already know, uh, this measure of uh, putting up the bill that you have to pay to the community. Yeah, that's what happens in my case because in my or in the urbanization where I own a property which I purely rent out, I have to pay more community fees. But at least everyone can rent out. But that's legal and that's... Yeah, because they take it in the way that um, touristic rentals cause more damages to the communal areas and those things. In my opinion, you know, when they are complaining about touristic rental, it's because of the noise and those things, and putting up your bill doesn't help with that. But still, they are they seem to be happier by charging a little bit more to contribute to the maintenance of the complex. And is there some sort of like, a, you know, a rule or a regulation that tells how much more you can charge these owners? Yeah, that yeah, they do, yeah. Uh, indeed. That is a fixed percentage charged by, uh, I mean, it is regulated by the law. Okay. I pay 30% more community fees. I think that might be the maximum because in my previous yeah. organization, when they took the, the decision to also, before taking the decision not to allow short-term rentals, they also had a period when they said you can, but you have to pay 30%. So is it true? It's, it's yeah, yeah, 30% yeah. then, Exactly, no? yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But this decision sometimes, I don't know if it's so clever. I mean, I do understand why they do it, why they don't allow short-term rentals. But obviously in terms of property prices and investment and value, it's maybe not so good. What do you think about that? What is considered as a short-term rental in Spain? Because I guess that that term, short-term rental, can also vary from country to country. So maybe we'll first of all identify what is considered or qualifies as a short-term rental in Spain. Short-term is different to touristic. Mm -hmm. Touristic rental is considered when it is rented to different people for less than two months. So for example, mm -hmm. if you do it through any of these websites where you can rent it for the weekend. And uh, as you say, Camila, it's not very popular from the point of view for investors. But for example, what we see, you know, amongst our clients is that people who live in a complex the whole year, they can end up having a lot of um, hassle and problems, you know, with people who come only for party, yeah. making noise, and which is normal when you are yeah. on holiday. But when you are working, I have... You know, have to get up very early in the morning next day, people get very crossed. So we see that when they go to the community meetings, that they are really unhappy. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. I do understand that. Um, it's just when people approach me and they want to sell a property in a community where it's not allowed, it's, it is a little bit more difficult because one buyer, one potential buyer who is the investor who wants the short-term rental is not interested in your property, which can have an effect on the value of the property. So most I do understand both sides, of course. Most of the time, yes, because we do get mostly investors. But we do, we do also have clients who are very happy to learn that there is not allowed so oh, that yeah. they can rest oh, yeah. and enjoy and have 
Yeah, yeah, you know, I agree. Into. But I guess also from an experience, I mean, it's more in the residential areas. I mean, I haven't heard of a beachfront complex or urbanization like forbidding, uh, forbidding the the short term uh, rentals. But actually, let's come back to the point because you started saying that short term and touristic are two different things. So touristic was, you know, what you said, less than two months, and you know, for different people and using the platform. So what is short term actually? Short terms, you know, haven't you seen any contracts for 11 months? Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's so like that's the, the one. typical story. But mm. that also, you know, again, we can talk about it and it's not exactly like that. For example, I mean, there are people who come only for the season. Imagine they stay here three months or six mm -hmm. months. That would be short term. There is also a complication when some people say, okay, I have made 11-month contracts and the client thinks they are protected. But by law, if the person who is rented is a person, is an individual, not a company, The tenant can stay up to five years into the property. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's what I heard. Yeah. That is his main home. He's mm -hmm. working there. Children going to school. So it's a broad point to discuss mm -hmm. about it, actually. It is, definitely, because we definitely have a shortage of long-term rental properties. And it is a big problem in all sectors. Just talking about restaurants who can't find staff because the staff can't find a place to live here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a big, big problem. But on the other hand, why do people not want to go into the long-term rental? Although I think it is good to do that because the rents have gone up and it can give you a good return if you're thinking about an investment property. Is the risk that people can stay five years and for any reason maybe you need them out before you have a limited rights is that correct is that totally correct because uh, in spain when the tenant doesn't does not want to vacate the property then you have to go to the court and make an eviction and Which although we have a, yeah. a, mm -hmm. a more recent law that is quicker mm -hmm. still the average is minimum one year Or also, more. when the tenant doesn't pay, or yeah. is yeah, oh. yeah. Hmm. so when when you know foreign clients find out about it, they just get blocked because they don't understand that wouldn't happen abroad normally. So um, even if they don't pay, you go to the court. It says okay, it will it will happen in three four months? Yeah. Actually, it doesn't happen in such a short time. So many clients, you know, are reluctant to to rent it for that time. It's not worth it for them. Are there any conversations around that topic? I mean, is the government aware that these uh, laws are uh, not uh, protective of the owners or are they kind of looking to, you know, change or is there, you know, debate around these things, you feel? I'm sure they are fully aware. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually there was a change in the law mm -hmm. and they made the process to be more swift. But mm -hmm. in practice, it doesn't happen because it courts are overloaded. Mm -hmm. And in summary, they are very slow at the end of the day, so... Okay. If, reality. If, if a client asks you, would you recommend me to rent out my property long term mm. or rather short term, what would you advise? Normally we tell the clients uh, what the consequences can be in either options, but we tell them is your property, is going to be your money and they have to take the decision. It depends on the client's requests and their position and their needs. I cannot tell Obviously, if a client tells me, okay, this is my situation, this is what I do, this is what I want, obviously I can tell them, okay, do it like this. For example, we do have clients who find a teacher who comes only for the course, you know, the year yeah. uh, beginning in September and ending up in June, and they really leave because they have to go to their city. That's fine because they can spend here the summer. 
But other situations, you can never guarantee how the tenant is going to react. And I think there's a risk on both scenarios, because if you rent short-term rental, you just don't know how your guests treat your property either, no? So there's also... For example, a for a touristic rental, you are certain that the client would come on a Friday, for example, and fly back on a Monday. That is a fact. So you will know that yeah. they would, I mean, 99% of the situations, they wouldn't stay in the property. Also, they they cause sometimes damages, but also they come through a website that normally has an insurance. So yeah. clients feel quite happy about it. So maybe let's summarize just like if I'm uh, if I'm looking for a property that I know that I want to be looking that I want to be uh, giving out for short term rental. So what's the main things as a buyer I should keep in mind or what's the type of questions I should be asking the, the agents that I'm meeting or the vendors that are selling apartments? So, I mean. A um, perfect situation would be to have a bank guarantee, but mm -hmm. that is uh, a little bit more difficult, especially for foreign people. Otherwise, uh, a deposit, not only what is uh, known as fianza, which mm -hmm. is only to cover damages in the property, which sometimes people get confused about it. So, for example, uh, get a deposit for a few months so that you, mm -hmm. you make sure that in case like it happens, you have a compensation. So there are different measures. Also, um, Clients who have, for example, a fixed employment here is mm -hmm. a good guarantee because if anything goes, it doesn't matter if it takes longer, but you have normally more security that you will get paid. Mm -hmm. So there are different things that you can do from the side. Exactly. And maybe before moving on to the other, um, uh, to the next questions, I think because we went a little bit into this uh, long-term uh, rental, I thought it came to my mind the word occupas. Mm. I know it can be a whole different <laughs> episode, oh, yeah. but, you know, it's like, what, what is the term Occupas? Because I have a lot of foreign people that ask me, what about Occupas? You know, it's like, you yeah, know, it's like a city people. legend or it's like, you know, Correct. it's like people. Uh, that is know. a nightmare. That is a nightmare because um, yeah, Occupas means Occupa comes from Occupar. So mm -hmm. they occupied literally your house. Mm -hmm. So they just come, break your door, get in. And the problem is that they do all kind of um things that you will be so surprised. For example, we had a client that uh, his Occupa was uh, receiving food, you know, from one of these companies that you can order online. Yeah. So he could prove with bills to the police that he was living there, which was not true. Yeah. He would only receive the food at the door. Mm -hmm. but or if still, you do an alarm, no? I heard if you set up an alarm with a the company, then... <laughs> well, the alarm should be checking on your paperwork. Yeah, as, uh, it should. You know, Normally they would, but um, yeah, they find any ways you would be surprised about it. And the thing is that at the end of the day, mm -hmm. if this person doesn't go out voluntarily, you have to go to the court and make an eviction. Again, that is a nightmare. And that is a very, very sensitive point because now we also have um, what is uh, called vulnerabilidad. So like people who have more specific and sad stories and, you know, like a weak situation are more protected by mm -hmm. law. So, so it's like the right for the for the home and for the house, basically, you know. Yeah. But uh, based on your experience, uh, you know, and, and, you know, during your career, do you find it's becoming less common? Like are the laws, you know, getting better and better? So the situation of having this occupas is becoming like less frequent or do you feel it's not really hasn't improved and it's pretty much the same? I mean... I think it's getting a little bit better, but not because of the law. It's because clients are getting alarm systems all the time, and that makes it really good because um, if you're not going to be in the property, you have an alarm and they come 
in 30 minutes, 40 minutes, then they take measure. Mm -hmm. So I think it's improving because of that, but not because of the law, unfortunately. I never came across one Okupa scenario so so it's like far. a santa claus yeah, yeah, heard, yeah. But i've never heard seen. but i never have ever <laughs> experienced really any it's, any case like that it's really sad sorry especially because you are foreign you are in a foreign country you don't understand the language you don't understand the law which i don't understand it either although mm -hmm. i'm spanish mm -hmm. and uh, you have your personal belongings you have uh, you know everything and Violated. suddenly from one day to another one you've lost everything yeah it's As crazy it's really I have seen a few clients, not many, luckily, but um, they were really in pain. Yeah, and, you know, imagine. imagine they were, for example, we had um, a Swedish couple and you are dreaming all the year, working very hard in Sweden. And you're thinking of, OK, I'm going to go to Spain, have my beer, enjoy. And suddenly it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen for many months. Yeah, That's really bad. You don't I, know I'm what really to do. I'm really sorry for those situations. So I guess that the solution is also, you know, for the owners is, you know, is to educate, you know, your yourself and, you know, try to get that information to be aware, you know, what the risks are, you know, for the long term rental. Is there any kind of due diligence you can do on the... Well, actually, no, because the Ocupas is, you know, it's not about... Uh, they can just move. Exactly. They, they, they just, just move, move in when, when, the, when the property so is Alarm empty. system then probably alarm is system, a good, yeah. you know, good solution yeah. that, you know, keeps your uh, property, you know, protected. So, yeah. Okay. And um, maybe going a little bit into the... Into the your day-to-day -day and their experience, what is the most common deal breakers why buyers back out from property purchases? Nowadays, uh, not being able to rent it for touristic purposes. Okay. So if ah. that comes out on the due diligence, then that's, you know, a deal-breaking uh, That reason. is one. And the second, I would say, for example, if they can, if there is something that doesn't comply with the law mm -hmm. and, and they, you know, we cannot do the legalization. Mm -hmm. Okay. That mm. frightens clients, yes. But I guess also because one thing that uh, the listeners missed out that uh, when we took the last uh, break, we went a little bit into the, you know, more in depth into the short term uh, rental license, you know. And uh, I was just saying that I feel that uh, in Andalusia right now, we are kind of lucky because the short term rental, it's not uh, in that sense, like heavily regulated. I mean, as long as you have your paperwork, you know, you can apply and you have the right to, to do the short term rental. But I do know that, uh, for example, in a, in a location like Ibiza, you know, uh, there is very strict uh, guidelines that have been set. You know, there is only certain amount of licenses that the island gives out each year. You know, they're valid for a small period of time, you know, and so forth. So, um do you think that also this is something that's coming to Andalusia? You know, should we watch out for, you know, maybe some rules and regulations or has there been any discussions on kind of trying to limit it as well? Is it becoming a problem that there is so many touristic uh, apartments, let's say, and maybe not enough uh, long-term rentals? At the moment, as you say, it's quite relaxed, in mm -hmm. my opinion. What is going to happen, you never know. Mm -hmm. That's the good thing in Spain. It's always <laughs> a surprise. Yeah. But we could think that they may take more action. But I think... The reason why it hasn't happened mm -hmm. so far, amongst other reasons, is because they do not have enough measures to control all mm -hmm. the properties that are having touristic license. Because as you know, at the moment we do it through this uh, process of declaración responsable, mm -hmm. which is me which means only a declaration that you make yourself undertaking liability. Mm -hmm. But we are fully aware that many people apply for the license without complying with the requirements that they should. Yeah, that's true. But also, I guess, on the other hand, it's what 
uh, does, uh, what has changed is that uh, when you do it in short term, and you know, most of the owners, I assume that they use a platform booking or Airbnb and so forth, you know, um, it's all, uh, you, you have to declare it. I mean, there is no way because your touristic license, in order to be able to list the property, you have to enter the touristic license number. And once you do it, it feeds the, the tax office automatically from their information. So I guess also for the government here, wouldn't it be better? Because obviously I feel that they make more money from short-term rentals than from the long-term where I still think that a lot of people pay in cash or in black or in envelope, you know, so. Yeah, but for example, they do not have a, a direct link to check whether what you've been declaring tax-wise that if it matches with the actual uh, with the requirement of having the proper license so they only okay you have the make this declaration for your tax return mm -hmm. and you've paid this tax that's correct but they don't have any connection to check whether that property should have been rented as touristic at the first place yeah okay there's no connection let's hope it's not coming anytime soon right <laughs> no i don't hope so but uh, it might be the case because I I see people desperate looking for long-term rentals and they just can't find anything or owners are asking a year up front or just make it very, very complicated for people to find a home to live if they can't afford to buy a property. But to be honest, like I'm being devil's advocate over here, I don't think it's because so many properties are on a short-term rental. I just think it's because of the law. People are just afraid. They yeah. might rent, you know, to a family or a friend, but if I'm living in Sweden, like you said, yeah. or, you know, in Ireland, Ireland and I have a property or a two over here or something I inherited yeah. and I need to rent it out and you know then they don't pay and there is no law really to protect me and you know I know it's a time-consuming process you know they're kind of thinking you know what's the what's the use yeah you know let me just true. kind of give it and extend it out to family and friends from time to time to cover my costs you yeah. know not making huge money out of it anyways so hmm? yeah bear in mind that most of the clients who have a second house here their economic situation is quite good, so they don't need to rent it. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why they say, okay, I'd rather leave it closed. If my family or friends want to come over, fine, yeah. but I don't want to take the risk. Whilst they would have in their minds, okay, if it was a good procedure and there was no risk, they are open-minded, so they would rent it out for other people, you know, six months or... Yeah. But most of them, I see it amongst our clients, they don't want to get a, a risk. Yeah. It's not worth yeah. it for yeah, them. Makes yeah. sense makes sense okay well thank you so much for all this detailed information and now i would like to maybe quickly explain to our listeners the procedure of the of the purchase especially if it comes to a reservation contract a private purchase contract and then the escritura when you sign at the notary can you explain a little bit the difference and what the normal procedures are yes of course um normally the client would say um that he's happy with the property and they have an offer accepted. So as lawyers, we would go into the reservation contract, which is a contract. Some people think it's only a document, but it's a contract and it's legally binding. And uh, of course, um, the purchase contract that normally comes in about two weeks, mm -hmm. there's no fixed period. Many clients ask, how many weeks can you wait in Spain? As long as both parties agree, you can do most of the time whatever you are happy mm -hmm. with. So... Between the reservation and the contract, we can make the due diligence. But in the reservation, essential points must be agreed because uh, suddenly you go to the contract and you find something that is not uh, something that the client wanted to accept and maybe you lose the reservation. So it's very important 
-hmm. that you agree, for example, to say, okay, I want um, the reservation is made subject to mortgage because for the buyer it's essential to have a mortgage. That has to be agreed in the reservation documents. Okay. Because if we leave it for the contract, it can be too late. I'm just backpedaling a little bit because it's true that, you know, like you said, when the uh, when the offer is accepted, um, because I think one of the interesting parts over here is because so typically there is three steps for me as a buyer when I buy. It's, you know, you make an offer, you know, and usually you put some sort of deposit down to kind of show that you're serious for the offer. So this is the time when you usually sign the, the first paper. But, you know, um, quite often it might be that maybe you don't have the, you know, uh, lawyer contracted yet. And then you call the lawyer and say, OK, I Put a deposit, I have the property, and then, you know, you move to this uh, next step, which is the legally binding reservation contract. But it's signed between the buyer and the seller. So it's not the time when you go to the notary. And then the last, uh, last uh, you know, contract or the binding deed is the one that you go to the notary. But maybe from your perspective, what's this uh, first, uh, you know, the first deposit that... Uh, that the buyer pays to the, you know, 6,000 euros or whatever it is to say, okay, I'm interested, you know, here's the offer, will you accept my offer? And, you know, you agree. Is this actually a legally binding document? Because I feel also, I've, you know, the properties, I maybe I've made like, I don't know, let's say I've made five purchases or 10 purchases in Spain. I think every single time this deposit, uh, deposit contract, what I call it, you know, when I put this small amount of money uh, down to make an offer, it's different. I mean, each agent is like, you know, uses a different template and some of them I find quite, uh, you know, uh, ridiculous and funny. Some are in one language, some are in two languages, some are, I don't know, three pages long, some <laughs> yeah. is like a half a napkin. <laughs> Very true. The offer and deposit is actually, legally speaking, equivalent to the reservation document. Ah, what happens is that sometimes real estate agents push to have the deposit very quickly to see that the um, buyer is totally committed. Mm -hmm. And that's why clients get relaxed and sign that document. Mm -hmm. And that document has to be checked. Mm -hmm. Because as you say, although they have a template, it's very funny sometimes for us because we see, I say this in a very good um, way, you mm -hmm. know, but some foreign people make a copy paste of several documents and at the end of it it's like... Um, Spanglish mix. <laughs> no, because they mix up, for example, legal things that are a contradiction and shouldn't be in, in mm -hmm. the document. But they just try to put in the pan everything what the client wants to. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to check because we really saw clients struggling because they were at the weekend, they wanted to put the deposit down, sign this document, and they, no, but I want this to happen. No. And now the vendor say, no, I'm not accepting that. You lose your reservation. And you mm -hmm. might lose the deposit also, you know, from your recommendation, because in that moment, or let's say that, you know, you have a client that is smart enough to get you involved before they give this uh, deposit, which I'm referring to mm -hmm. deposit the 6,000, because I guess you know, it's a pretty standard practice yep. that it's yes. 6,000, unless it's like a more expensive property. Mm -hmm. Whose account should it go to? Should it go to my buyer, me as a buyer, to my lawyer? Should it go to the uh, agent, which agent, the one that was representing me or the one that was representing the the, the seller? Who should get this 6,000 euro deposit? Because I also have transferred it to so many different people. And I always wonder, obviously the agent, <laughs> quite often, you know, the agents, they want to get it because they want to guarantee that they get their, uh, you know, commission in the end of the day. And, you know, that probably covers a part of that. In my opinion, the best thing would be to transfer it to the lawyer. So to the seller's lawyer then, for example, as an independent party. For me, party, I would yeah. feel more comfortable if it's sent to the buyer's lawyer. The buyer's lawyer can communicate to the other lawyer, listen, I have received this mm -hmm. deposit. When we sign the reservation document, mm -hmm. I will transfer it to you. Okay. That's the best way to do. Second option, 
real estate agents, with all my respect, can be good mm -hmm. if they are reliable. They've been established for long, but we've also seen real estate agents are like normal individuals, you know, that they have problems and mm -hmm. suddenly you deposit. So as a lawyer, if you ask me, if it's, and you know, like a normal company that mm -hmm. we know for many years, okay, fine. But sometimes there are real estate agents that began yesterday. Yeah. And if you are my client, I will tell you, watch out. I, I will feel more comfortable if mm -hmm. you pay it even to the vendor mm -hmm. than to the real estate agent if we don't know him. Mm -hmm. If we know the estate agent, fine, you know, yeah. and we checked, you know, that they've got a special account and everything. Mm -hmm. Good. That's not a problem. I actually uh, completely agree. And I decided, if possible, not to take any deposits anymore, purely because of this KYC form and the money laundry situation makes it very complicated for us. And we actually, before taking money or anyone, also you lawyers, Uh, taking the money, the deposit, we need to make the background check where the money is coming from. And I much prefer to leave that to the lawyers. So I always prefer when the de deposit goes to the lawyer, actually. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very good option. And then the next step after the reservation is going to be the contrato de arras, as we call it in Spanish, which is the private purchase contract. Contrato de arras or not, because private purchase contracts mean contrato privado. Okay. But we do have several options. We do have opción de compra, contrato de arras. It's very common that uh, clients are told by the agents, okay, we're going to sign a contrato de arras because everyone knows about, okay, if the vendor pulls out, they have to give you double. If not, if you are the one pulling out, then you will lose your money. But there are other options where we would say, okay, instead of contrato de arras, I want, for example another kind of contract that I can make it uh, enforceable and you know, make it registered at the land registry for other reasons. Sometimes we do have clients who tell us, um, listen, I'm not interested in getting double because, for example, for whatever reasons, I've made many arrangements to come to this offer and I want the property. So I don't want the vendor to have the option to back out. So I want to have the possibility to make him fulfill the contract. So there are clients who are not interested in getting double money, but getting the property. But this contract, how, however it might be called, is much more binding than the reservation contract. And it's much more firm, no? It's Well, it's legally binding as the reservation, but the difference is that normally the reservation, as you say, if you paid 6,000 euros and the vendor decides not to continue with the sale, his only risk is to give back Lately, I'm seeing that the reservation also includes to give back double of the mm -hmm. reservation. Well. But if not, commonly, is only to give back the 6,000. So actually, he doesn't have any commitment. Yeah. And a few months ago, when the market was so high, um, we have experienced quite a number of vendors who were saying, okay, I give you back the deposit because... I got a better, better offer. Better offer, It exactly. just happened to me last week. It was absolutely <laughs> crazy. We had a signed reservation. My client was the buyer. They agreed on a price. They all signed the reservation. My client paid 6,000 euros. And five days later, he, the vendor came back to us and says, oh, I got another offer, which was 10,000 10, euros more. And I've already signed another reservation and I've already collected another 6,000 euros. And we were like... 
How such is that a bad possible? Feeling. That's a such is, and, and that makes, makes me think sometimes, well, what's the purpose of a reservation if you can just do that? At the end, we managed to save the deal because my client paid more, but it was just a situation where... Yeah, but, you know, then you feel also a little bit tricky. Yeah, but I guess course. what you're saying, you know, is also, you know, if, if there is a lawyer involved and, you know, if there is also maybe the sanction of, you know, having to pay back double, he would have not maybe taken that deal because then he's like, well... I mean, the reservation documents based on goodwill, is normally for the vendor to take the property off the market. Yeah, correct. And if correct. it's, and if it's uh, serious and committed, 99% of mm -hmm. the time, you know, it goes okay. But as you say, it's not a total guarantee. Not yeah. at no, all. No, he just continued to show it with another agent and then that happens. And then we were thinking, what do we do? We can sue him. Well, is there really a possibility and what for? You know, you can't really sue him to sell you the property. Some agents, oh, a long some agents agree with the vendor that if they pull out for whatever reason, they have to pay them like a minimum fee. We that is that. very true. And I was um, advised in this case uh, that actually us agents have a quite good chance to, to sue him more than actually the buyer. Yeah. Anyway, we sorted it and it's all good now. <laughs> yeah, because in that moment, your client is the vendor. Yeah. No, my, in, my case, yeah, in my case, the, the client was the buyer. Was the buyer. Yeah, because normally the vendor has the agreement with the listing agent. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you share commissions. Yes, For example, correct. if the listing agent had agreed, okay, in case you pull out, you pay me 3,000 years, imagine, just an example, yeah. then he would have to share with you 50%. Yeah. So before we go to the closing question, I mean, there is so much uh, yeah. wisdom that has been shared. <laughs> Are there maybe any fun or unusual stories that come to your mind about uh, clients who have bought the property over here? I'm sure you do, you know, your little black box or little black we book have a of few. secrets. We but, have yeah. a few, maybe clients yeah. don't want to hear about it. But one that was uh, quite shocking mm -hmm. for us, um, also because we had a very good relationship uh, further than clients with the clients mm -hmm. because of the situation mm -hmm. they experienced. Um, bank repossession is mm -hmm. quite um, attractive to many clients. Okay. And That's sometimes true. they think, oh, it comes from the bank, so mm -hmm. it's legal nothing to do with that, I must say, mm -hmm. especially because banks say, okay, I give it to you cheaper, but they make you sign a contract to accept nearly everything. So you you even renounce to claim anything from them or if they have any hidden damages or anything in the property. So it's kind of a contract where you cannot complain about anything. So, so low you price but it, high risk. Exactly. Mm. Either you take it, either you leave mm. it. And in this case, my poor clients, I, I felt so sorry for them. They bought a villa, which was very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, they didn't make a survey on the property. And by the time they moved there, they were so excited and so happy. They discovered that it's the only time I've seen that in 20 years, but it happened. Um, the water pipes, mm -hmm. well, this comes, I must clarify, this was a, a person who mm -hmm. had built his own house. He didn't pay the mortgage, so the bank repossessed the property. Okay. So it was like self-promoter. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not a company. Mm -hmm. It was in a village. Okay, so my clients bought it. And by the time they were living there, they discovered that the water pipe was put in the wrong place. So like the sewage, the mm -hmm. black water, mm -hmm. was running through the pipes where you, you should be drinking of. So imagine, they had to pay a lot of money wow. to make the installation correct, put up all the floor with all the costs, and also so shocking, you know, that the whole installation of the house was wrong. Well, I bought the, I hope they bought as cheap to make it still worse, but... 
At the end that of the day, horrible. I can tell you, economically speaking, I don't, um, I don't, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not in the position to tell you if it was really worth it or mm. not. Mm. But I can tell you from the emotional point of view, mm. it was really not worth it for them. No, no, of course not. Because uh, apart that they had to pay a lot of money, they had to use special companies with car with cameras going into the ground floor to oh discover what the problem was. And that was very stressful for my client, yeah. especially for uh, the lady. So, um, yeah, it was would really be really interesting to, to talk to uh, somebody who's worked with the department, you know, of, of selling these bank repossession properties, you know, because I have an experience also with uh, purchasing bank repossession property, you know, back in the day. Um, and I'm sure that there is, uh, you know, some interesting stories. I mean, back in the day, I felt that there was a lot of properties with an attractive price. I feel that now, I don't know, it's because oh, maybe, maybe, like you said, we just had such a high on the market as well, you know. I feel that, you know, the bank repossession properties are priced pretty much, you know, uh, same, even even if not more sometimes than the regular properties. And plus, because you are negotiating or not negotiating with a bank, there is no emotion behind it. No, they don't care. No. So you're not like when you're talking with a vendor or, you know, somebody who owns the place, you know, you can play a little bit because, you know, depending on the situation, you know, you can negotiate, you can get a better deal, can get the maybe, I don't know, furniture included. But if you're talking to the bank, I mean, you're hardly talking to anybody there because there is 100 people in between there that don't care if the place sells or not. So it's like you have less... Uh, leverage I feel so totally with you especially because they may not even know about this uh, exactly. hidden damage because they don't check on the property yeah that's why um, buying a house especially if it's an older house it is good to do a, a survey Definitely. I mean I must say this is the only time I've experienced such a nightmare you know in yeah, a house. it's a bit unusual it's a bit extreme totally no? but unusual. still it can happen totally. and in Spain everything can happen we've <laughs> noticed that so <laughs> I mean, when the when the property has been used, so people have been living there, there's no such a risk. This property was brand new because the previous owner had not been able to pay the mortgage, so he was not able to live into mm. the property. Well, a lot of um, times, um, bank repossessed properties are actually pretty brand new properties. And then it's always better to do a survey to find out if exactly. everything is okay, because it's new, but it's old, you know, maybe it was built in 2007 and it's never been used since and yeah. now sold. So it makes sense. But even if you do a survey, there's no way to negotiate with the bank afterwards, because no, usually no. bank repo properties are non-negotiable. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> So finishing on that note, maybe just the last question to say, what advice would you like to give uh, to somebody looking to buy a property over here? Uh, you mean legally speaking or? Like uh, legally or personally speaking, both, you know, besides you as a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I always tell the clients, um, choose the property that uh, you really think you are going to enjoy with. Investment is also very yeah. important. But from my point of view, when you have uh, the good uh, opportunity to come to live to Spain and enjoy our life, mm -hmm. Of course, I would choose the property that makes me feel that I can go to the bar next to it or I can go to the beach and I can enjoy totally, you know, the, the character of the city where you are. Yeah, and the lifestyle over here. Yeah, so yeah. we are lucky and blessed that we live in Mavea. So yeah, <laughs> on that sunny note, thank you so much for listening and tuning in and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.